This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast one of the fastest-growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. In this episode, we discuss Constantine. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. This is Anthony. And this is James. Today we're doing Constantine. This came out in 2005, directed by Francis Lawrence. Supernatural exorcist and demonologist John Constantine helps a policewoman prove her sister's death was not a suicide, but something more. I love this movie. Same. I think it's really terrific, and it's definitely, it has to be the most underrated comic book movie of all time. I I mean, we often say Man of Steel, but a lot of people still talk about Man of Steel. No one really talks about Constantine, and it's kind of like lost. It's I think it's become a cult classic rather than just successful in its, since its release. Yeah, it's been a while. This came out in 2005. That was a long time ago, we were man. Kids. That was when Batman Begins came out the same year. So yeah. this was like DC was getting things cooking, but then, you know, obviously they pretty much dropped the ball the last five years. But, you know, <laughs> the, Constantine's such a fascinating character, and it's based on the Hellblazer comics from Vertigo, which is... The uh, Vertigo Comics, known as DC Vertigo, which is a part of the comic book company DC Comics, started in 1993 by editor Karen Berger. And so I think Constantine, it's in a, it's a TV show now, and I think people just really love the canon of this character, of the stories, the lore. It's, it's, he's a really fascinating take on a superhero and he, comic book character. Constantine was actually created by Alan Moore, who wrote and created Watchmen mm-hmm. and Bat- The Dark Knight Returns. Is it is that Batman one? I think so. That yeah, the graphic novel as well as a bunch of other graphic novels like V for Vendetta. So no, Frank Miller did Dark Knight Returns, and but Alan Moore is a super creative writer and he's written some of the best comics of all time and, and some of the best graphic novels of all time. And this film, uh, we it gets a lot of flack from fans of the comic book because uh, this the film the tone of the film and also the interpretation of the Constantine character isn't super comic book accurate which i think that works for this movie for the direction they took because in the comic books he does a lot more witchcraft sorcery he, he does spells way more often and can do all sorts of magic like magical types of abilities also he's british um famous for being blonde and obviously keanu doesn't wear the the correct wardrobe compared to the comic books but i like the i like the approach to the character in this film and one of my favorite things about this part, this this interpretation of the characters, it's not an origin story. We're so used to origin stories now for every character. It's refreshing to see, you know, a comic book character, and he's already been Constantine for several, for many years. Like he 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 already did his origin story. We don't need to see it. Let's just get right into the character. Not only is he already Constantine, but he's like on the end of being John Constantine. You know, uh, Papa Midnight says you were. John Constantine. It's once. like Logan, you know what I mean. So he's like yeah. the end of being whatever character he is on, on the end journey. But obviously, obviously, the character has, you could say, a reincarnation and rebirth at the end of the film in a way. And Constantine, you know, he's supposed to look like Sting, the singer. That's who he's based off of. And Roxanne. <laughs> dun, dun. 
you know how to put out the green light. Red light. The green light. And I know a lot of people who who are like hardcore Constantine fans, that's their biggest qualm with this film is he looks nothing like Constantine. And you know what? For me, when it comes to a movie and an adaptation, it doesn't always matter. You know, if, if someone's right for the role, they're right for the role. It's just like Tom Cruise with Jack Reacher. I love the Jack Reacher books by Lee Childs. And at first, when Tom Cruise was cast in them, this is like before the great resurgence, I would say, of Tom Cruise. I was like, really, Tom Cruise? Because Jack Reacher's supposed to be like six foot six, blonde, like buzz cut hair, and just enormous and, and yeah. jacked out yeah. of his mind. And then Tom Cruise is like five eight with lifts on, but it works. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a badass in the yeah. movie. And you know, he, he embodies the character essentially of what you know. Jack Reacher is Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise pulls it off, and I think Keanu pulls off Constantine so well. It's one of my favorite characters he's ever done. I mean, there's no point in trying to get someone who looks exactly like a, a comic book character or a description in a book if you if you have a better actor available. Yeah, if they're not a star, if they're yeah. not a good actor, I mean, what, what's the point? You just go for the best possible actors. The way it is, I mean, it's like Tobey Maguire and like Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland all look different, but they're all great Peter Parkers, mm-hmm. and they, uh, none of them like look like Peter Parker. You know, I just say I would just say whatever the best possible performer you can get for the role, I, obviously for the right price for the studio. And in also, addition to being a star. Yeah, because the studio invested 100 million dollars in this project. So they when a movie when a movie has that much money behind it, there's a lot of risk involved for the studio. Hence the reason why they try to cast big name stars to pull in ticket sales, because they're making a very risky investment in this project. So you got to get Keanu Reeves. You can't get some unknown actor who looks just like Constantine. Maybe if your movie is a $10 million budget or $15 million budget, but with these big studio pictures, you need a star to sell the film because they need to actually make a profit. Yeah, especially when it's a $100 million movie, like you said, that's the budget, and it's rated R. And it's DC comic that most people never heard of. I never heard of Constantine before this came yeah. out, and I loved it. And it grossed two hundred thirty million worldwide, which was very good for what it was. It, for it's not what they wanted though. I, that, I, that's good for rated R. It's rated, cr- I think for rated R, it's solid. I think they invested too much money in the film. It probably would have been better. You could have gotten the same feel and tone of a film in a great film for like fifty, sixty million. So a hundred million dollars was a lot to invest in a rated R project. Back then, I mean, Deadpool, obviously, Logan does really well, but those have been established properties. Ryan Reynolds is a gigantic star, and so those films perform well because of, um, the obviously, the influx of superhero movies as well and comic book movies. So. Uh, but I think we can assume a lot of the budget was spent on special effects and CGI. There actually is a decent amount of CGI and special effects in this movie. It's 2005, so it's probably more expensive in terms of what you wanted to do with that kind of stuff. Also, very big sets. They used a lot of big sets that weren't, um, in studios, they lots were, of there were a lot of practical sets that they traveled to to shoot this on location. You can tell exterior Los Angeles sets, yeah. shutting down entire blocks, like yeah. multiple blocks of Los Angeles downtown. That's not cheap to do. So that definitely put a big dent in the budget, just the actual physicality of the scenes. But I really, the sets in this film are really great. There are a lot of them, and it looks fantastic. Really great production design and cinematography. And I think the film is well-crafted. Francis Lawrence is a very talented director. He he became famous for uh, making a few of the Hunger Games films. And then also I Am Legend and, and Red Sparrow with uh, Jennifer Lawrence as well. A very, very capable director. And the direction of this film is really excellent, really artistic, great cinematography, uh, great imagery. Just like stuff you don't typically see in superhero films. 
great artistry. Yeah, like I would I would say a great example of some great shots are, you know, the first thing we see about Constantine before him, we see two cigarettes before we see him. You see, we see him dropping the cigarette out of the taxi cab, and then we see him lighting up a cigarette, and then we finally see who John Constantine is, which is really interesting. And, and also, right, sorry to interrupt, that shot, the first shot we see of John is a God's, a God's point of view yeah. overhead. Which is like the God eye shot that so like Scorsese made very famous where the camera's above him. So it's like God's looking down on Constantine. Yeah, and the color schemes in this movie are great. There's a lot of green. There's a lot of red depending on what set we're in. And I just think they do a terrific job, like you said, the production design of the sets and, and just the lighting in general. And it looks great. Aesthetically, this movie is top notch. But before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost Podcast is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast where you get awesome perks like our podcast schedules, personal personalized videos, Patreon shoutouts on the show for top tier and Godfather tier patrons, and weekly bonus episodes in Godfather tier. You get an extra bonus episode every month as well as a free sticker. We also just launched our podcast masterclass online course. So for anyone who wants to start a podcast or improve their current podcast, our 22 chapter 46 video lesson course will give you all the secrets behind the scenes of our show so you find out how we found the success that we have had so far. The link is podcastmasterclass.teachable.com or go to raidersofthelostpodcast.com. It's right there on the homepage. Be sure to check out all of our sources of content on social media, custom movie posters on our website. Follow, subscribe wherever you're listening. And thank you so much for tuning in to the show around the world. Now, I think the first thing I want to talk about, if this is cool with you, is the rules and the artifacts because there's so much to dive into. I would love to, but first I want before that. Well, actually, before you do that. (laughs) (laughs) There's something else I want to talk about. Well, before that, though. before So five times before that. But you go first. I want to talk about the reviews. Okay. So this is a very divisive film. It has a 46 Rotten Tomato score. It's very rotten. 46 out of 100. So that's a terrible Rotten Tomatoes critic score. And then a 72% audience score, which is favorable but not like super good. And then it has a 7.0 IMDb score. And I think that this film, if I was going to rate it out of 10, I would give it like an 8 out of 10. I think it's a lot better than what it has received online in terms of both critical and audiences yeah i love this movie there are just like a couple moments in the movie that i think don't completely work like i think some scenes like um when constantine and angela are like they're getting that that food they're they're eating like the eggs on the side of the street those shots don't look like perfectly great to me compared to the rest of the oh i like those i think they're okay but compared to the rest of the film they seem out of place what a film snob (laughs) (laughs) the cinematography and that scene is just like so par it is because the rest of the movie is fantastic it looks great but there's just a couple moments like that and then little things for me like why does Ray, why does Angela take the necklace off the amulet later that's, on? How does that come? Loop, like she was hole. wearing it, then she takes her jacket off and it's off her body. Yeah, it's a plot. So hole. like, but it's not like a sweatshirt that she lifted over yeah. her head. It's physically impossible. Every time I see yeah. it, I'm like, oh, that's like they they should just been like, oh, I'm not wearing this goddamn chain because this guy gave it to me. It would have been made more sense for me. Something that's, like that. That's something it that was definitely not spe- specifically laid out in the screenplay. And they didn't think of that until I'm sure the day of. Yeah, and then they were like, things. they were probably like, oh my God, how do we get her to take her necklace off? There's no way around it. Because it doesn't make sense why yeah. she took it off. Yeah, how it, how it came off. In, yeah, in general of her, like, if they showed her taking it off. That's that's something that always bugs me with this yeah. movie. But those are two little things that, like, it's not that so big of a deal. So it used to bug me, but then I realized, like, oh, it was probably just a production error. And they are like, shit, screw it. Stuff we'll just, happens. We'll just see if they can, if anyone notices. There's a pickup truck in Braveheart. It's still yeah. a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, rules and artifacts time. 
I would love to. Because there's a lot to go over with this story and this world, a lot of characters, but also a lot of these like religious artifacts that have power in, in everything. And the first thing I want to talk about is the Spear of Destiny, which is wrapped in that Nazi flag when uh, they found I said Nazi like <laughs> Nazi. goddamn Nazis, Nazis. <laughs> killing Nazis they have the spear of, of destiny. destiny and um so the spear of destiny was the actual weapon that killed Jesus and it has his dried blood on it and it becomes a required part of you could say the spell that Mamon has to uh, uh create in yeah. order to come back onto earth yeah the the hand <clears throat> needs the help of god yeah the no he needs the the blood of the blood of god right no no the blood is is in being used as the help of, help of god no cuz the help of god is gabriel <clears throat> oh it needs the the blood of the son of god yeah so the blood of the son, son of god, of god. And yeah. Then, yeah exactly on. don't worry you got this we both got it yeah we got this we figured it out <laughs> people were about to type oh! <laughs> i could i could hear and some Oh, okay. I could hear the keyboards. Not, not unsubscribing. Spear of Destiny, yeah. It's actually a really cool, powerful uh, artifact. And obviously when that person finds it um, in South America and, and they become impenetrable and then gets to America to reunite the Spear of Destiny with Gabriel later on. They didn't show him crossing the border. They didn't. <laughs> how did he get through? Just, I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> uh, next up, we have the amulet or necklace. Uh, this is a Triketra, which is a Trinity knot. It's a spiritually spiritually it's a bulletproof vest for protection. That's what the one Tom, that Hennessy wears. Yeah, Hennessy then, wears it, then, then he gives, gives it to Angela. Angela. Got it. We never know like what kind of powers it has or grants the wearer, but we can just assume that it, you know, prevents evil spirits or even the demonic presences and half breeds from, you know, giving the inspiration or influence to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um and we, again, the, the powers are never expressed, but that's what we assume. Like, Father Hennessy takes it off so he can hear the voices of the dead yeah. rather than when he wears it so he can't hear the voices of the dead, which we uh, can also assume are coming from the demon's influence on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, John's forearm tattoos, which I think technically serve as an artifact. So that really cool moment when he brings his forearms together, which reveals Gabriel at the end of the film. Now, why does that happen? So the tattoos are the alchemical symbol of the Red King. And what John says is, into the light, I command thee. I command which thee. Which is a spell. So he's using this in, in creating a spell, which which is a con. I wish there were more spells that Constantine casts in the film. Mm. So this is one of the, the only moments where he casts a spell. And so what this incantation in the sigil's tattoo on his arms do is it forces the unseen enemy to reveal itself to him. So he's using this to summon whoever is helping Mamone at this moment to enter the world in front of him, which is Gabriel. I wonder if people have those tattoos in real life. Oh, absolutely, dude. Like fans of the movie. Because I googled Constantine's tattoos and there, like, tons of people have them. It's pretty sick. They're really badass. Yeah. Very cool. It's a badass tattoo. Next up, we have The Chair, which is currently at uh, I keep saying King Papa in my head <laughs> Papa Midnight's bar he, he bought it at an auction so this electric chair was a device used as a means of execution at the Sing Sing maximum security prison in New York it is said that this particular item saw more than 300 executions in its lifetime Damn. and so this chair clearly enhances Constantine's powers in terms of visions and shows him a vision that the spear was discovered in Mexico and has brought been brought to Los Angeles and it's at that hospital where Isabel fell to her death. Wow, great job. Also, there's... um. Oh, I got a whole list. Oh, okay, I'm, not, I'm not done, bro. <laughs> I, I, I think it's fascinating. Yeah, me too. Next up, we have the Holy Shotgun, yeah. which is John Constantine's like favorite weapon, you could say. And so the Holy Shotgun, which is also a crucifix yeah. shotgun, is a sort of revolver shotgun hybrid as it uses a rotating cylinder capacity of 12 and uses special gold-encased slugs that are made by John's apprentice, Chaz. Chaz. Uh, Kramer. 
Chaz Kramer asshole. Asshole. <laughs> <laughs> the name's Chaz Kramer. <laughs> it's Creed as the Bond line. Last name first. Oh yeah, Kramer. Chaz Kramer. <laughs> My name's Chaz. <laughs> Chaz Kramer. <laughs> the holy shotgun can also be used in conjunction with Dragon's Breath when attached to the barrel and Dragon's Breath breath is that gold tube that discharges a bright purple flame it is apparently rare and difficult to obtain it can be attached again attached to the front of the holy shotgun and this ancient flamethrower contains liquid dragon fire from the dragon demon can gore oh so it's a dragon demon i believe so yeah oh so that makes that, more sense and that's where yeah. so beeman is like his artifact guy who gets him yeah, all yeah. this stuff yeah the gold his brass Q. yeah his, yeah his q is quartermaster his the gold brass knuckles are really cool they have the engravings of fiat yestucia et perit mendus sorry my latin is a little a little scratchy nowadays say it with means, an italian accent then italians and latins are not the same thing just man. do it with an italian accent fiat istucia ed prevent mendus which means let justice be done <laughs> though the world perish the brass knuckles have four crosses engraved above each finger hole overall they do actual significant damage to half breeds and dam and demons which is why when Tom constantine uses the gold brass knuckles on balthazar he Knocks him out basically onto onto that table. Balthazar. Balthazar. <laughs> Next up, we have holy water from the River of Jordan, which is just ordinary holer water, but it burns the skin <laughs> off half breeds, as seen in the film. Constantine can also use one of these little balls of holy water to banish himself out of hell after he goes there by breaking it against his chest. Uh, we have next the Screech Beetles, which is just a Max Botch, Max Botch, Max Box. I'm not Match Box. <laughs> match box. Filled with screech beetles, the sound causes excruciating pain to a half-breed, which I'm assuming happens to angels as well as the demons. No, I'd say it's uh, related to evil. Well, just they, yeah. they always just say it's half-breeds. Yeah. They never say anything about it being angels or demons. Well, Beeman says to it, to the undead, it snails on the chalkboard. So Good maybe, it's, yeah, maybe it's maybe just it has demons. an effect on zombies. Because you wouldn't too. call an angel undead. But technically, they're not. Well, would you call? I guess. I guess yeah. not. Yeah. I guess not. And then we have finally half breeds, and half breeds can either can either be half breed demon or half breed angel. Half breeds exist to maintain the balance on Earth, since full fledged demons and angels can't cross over to the mortal plane. The act of killing a half breed demon is referred to by John Constantine as deporting. When a half breed demon is slain, they are deported back to hell. And half breeds have increased strength, durability, influence on human beings, and also they can do that cool trick with their eyes. Yeah, and it's shown the strength is shown with Gabriel. It's pretty subtle, because what I like about this film a lot is things aren't super. Ex they the exposition is keep kept at a minimum, and there is plenty of exposition. But for the most part, Lawrence approached it as like the audience isn't dumb. Like I'm just gonna show them things, and Gabriel's strength is, is an example. But obviously, she picks John up with one hand, no problem. But when her foot is against his chin, the way Keanu's playing that scene. Is it's as if a extremely powerful and strong being is moving his chin with great force, and that's something that is very subtle. And I didn't even notice it the first time I watched the movie, but on repeat viewings, you can tell she's her strength is visible from just the way she's moving his head around. Yeah, that's a really good point. And also, Balthazar has that great strength, but because he picks Constantine up with one hand as well against the wall. But you could probably argue that Gabriel is maybe more special than someone like Balthazar because even. It seems like Gabriel has more power than Balthazar. Gabriel's, you know, a favorite of God, you could probably say. Mm -hmm. And obviously we'll talk more about Gabriel later on. But I think that even when Gabriel goes to punch Lucifer at the end of the film, like Lucifer kind of like winces, you could say, expecting to be 
expecting a, a legit impact before mm-hmm. her uh, Gabriel's hand is stopped uh, by God or whatever barriers in front of them. So maybe Gabriel is just a little more special than any other half breed. Yeah, I think uh, a fav- a favorite of God's. Yeah, something like has that has more power on Earth compared because, to the other know, we ones. We also see Gabriel's wings pretty often too. Yeah, hundred percent for sure. So that's all I got for artifacts and stuff. And I think, I guess the final rule would be the balance, you know, the balance between God and Lucifer, where like Constantine describes it as a wager for the souls of mankind, where, you know, they can only introduce influence on humans, but whoever wins their souls, I guess, wins the wager. And they both have demons and half-breeds, half-breed demons, half-breed angels to give influence to human beings, but they can't fully be on the plane of Earth mm-hmm. without just being a half-breed. It's illegal. And what I love about this film is the approach and the idea of, you know, heaven and hell on Earth. I love possession movies. I love scary movies. The Exorcist is one of my favorite movies. What's that say about me? I don't really know, but... Hey, man, it just says you like good movies, bro. Yeah, but but possession movies I've always found fascinating, and we grew up we grew up Catholic and terrified of hell when we were kids. Yeah, we used to watch it all the time when we were kids. Yeah, so I used to think, I was like, (laughs) oh my God, is that what hell really looks like when I was a kid? But I I think it's always really fascinating a subject to put in film. Also, it's in a comic book movie, and it's something, it still is the only, I think, comic book film that is depiction of demons in hell in possession religious in a way yeah i think because religion's very divisive yeah. for people i think a lot of people don't want to if they're anti-religious they don't want to see that in movies or anything mm-hmm. at all they just don't want anything to do with it which i think is unfortunate because i think there's a lot of great stories that can be told like oh Constantine yeah. that have yeah. to do with religion yeah I, lo- I love i'll watch a movie with any kind of religion as the main theme no problem you know i mean like it's- doubt's a great religious film yeah yeah you, you can't deny that that's just a powerful film but this film has a really excellent possession moment. Like it has a few possession scenes, but the 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 first one in this film is really strong. When Constantine goes to South LA and he, he pulls the demon out of that little girl, really really terrific scene. A setup for his character, really well directed, really scary, and also such a fascinating way to to exercise a demon that we hadn't seen on film before by trapping it inside of a, mir- a mirror where when a demon apparently w- from the rules, and it's not explained to us, they're just showing us the rules. If a demon that's tr- like possessed a person sees its own reflection, it its body gets trapped in, in like the dimensional plane within the mirror that is still like a barrier between their world and our world. Really fascinating. But then they can come out of that barrier if they want, you know. Again, like you said, they're not explaining things. You just kind of have to figure out for yourself, but they're given subtleties, you know. He's like, I just witnessed a demon trying to chew itself out of a girl or something like that, like trying to crawl out of a person. So, like, they're starting to break the rules and this giant mystery that's following this movie because it's also very new war in terms of it also being a great mystery and, and Constantine's doing a lot of detecting and clues clue hunting and trying to figure out what's going on because he seems to have like given up on pretty much everything in his life despite besides the fact of trying to exercise demons because all he's trying to do is get back into heaven he that's all he wants to do so he he doesn't care about anything but himself and he's not he's not trying to save this girl he doesn't really care about this girl he's just trying to get this demon out to maybe add something to his resume to so what he says to procure his retirement at the end of his life. Yeah, like if he can prevent the end of days, maybe then God will be like, you know what, John, come on in. 
but that's not even his goal at the yeah. end of the film. You know, he, he, well, he goes through transformation. He goes yeah. through immense transformation and does the self sacrifice. But up until that point, everything he does, like Gabriel says, is just for himself. And the film noir aspect that you mentioned that is definitely strong in this film because of the cinematography and also where they shot it in L.A. So so many productions are shot in L.A., but oftentimes they'll shoot in the valley in the northern parts of L.A., Hollywood, the valley. Whereas in this film, it takes place primarily in downtown L.A., which has a lot of great older architecture, a lot of great um, looks to it. It feels it has a city vibe. It has like if like it's very small, but it's like a little mini New York City inside of L.A. Um, it's not even close to the scale of of New York City, but it's still for California. That this is the city part of the area, and they captured it really well. It it looks cool and. We used to go to downtown a lot more often, but since the lockdown, you never really go over there anymore. But it is a really beautiful part of the city, and they captured it really well. Yeah, another great movie that captures downtown LA really well is 500 Days of Summer. Yeah, they got a lot, of, cause a lot of great architecture and mm -hmm. old skyscrapers here and stuff like that. Yeah. And obviously, we all know that iconic bench that I think was removed and, sh and taken down. That park is gone. Too many breakups on it. <laughs> Too many people went to go take photos Too of it. Too many people were crying on it. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I also really like about Constantine and the story in like Heaven and Hell on Earth is it also feels kind of like The Matrix in Keanu's. It happens to be in both films. And one of my favorite lines is I think Gabriel's talking about, or Keanu's talking, mean, Constantine's talking <laughs> about uh, Heaven and Hell on Earth to Angela. And he's like, Heaven and Hell are around every corner. Behind every window, <laughs> just like the Matrix, so yeah. it's always there. It's this world that we can't see, and except for Constantine, who has this curse, he, he calls. But really, it's it's a gift where he can see the the visage of demons and angels and the half breeds. It's not that he has visions; he he has the visages of what they truly are on this plane, where no one else can see them. Yeah, you missed one artifact. What I miss? So that great scene when when he when Angela goes to see him and he rejects her he's, he's an asshole to her and then she leaves um and then she's walking to her car and he catches up to her and then he begins talking about like the main idea of heaven and hell and uh the deal that the, that the devil and god made for the, all the souls of humanity and then because he's going to her because he saw with his visage his, his ability to see them dozens of demons going after her and then all the all the lights in the streets are going down, are, are all being shut off, and she thinks it's a it's a power outage. But not likely, not likely, because the, <laughs> there's a, a storefront with a, a statue of Mary that has still has light on. So, and then they go to the light as it's dimming, and she hears wings, and then she's and she smells the sulfur, and he's and he's like, "Stay with me, it's something." And the gun's not going to work. Then he pulls out a rag, and a lighter, and then when the lights finally go out, he lights the rag on fire. And it bursts out this energy force that um, disintegrates all the demons. Really awesome moment in the film. One of the best moments of the film. And I was always wondering, I was like, what is that rag that he lit on fire and emitted that immense energy that destroyed the demons? It's actually a rag from Moses' burial site that um, Beeman mentions in a deleted scene that it's, it's part of the, rag, of the clothing that Moses was wearing when he was bur buried. So it has a great amount of power. That's really cool. Yeah. Because one of John's abilities is pyromancy also, which creates he can create fire and hellfire from his lighter. And I'm sure that that rag from Moses helped enhance that ability. Yeah. There are actually a lot of deleted things from this film that I think could have maybe made it a little bit better. Like, is there anything else? So Michelle Monaghan, 
Who's the demon? She has she, she has, has one line. She has one line in that that during that big fight scene. She gets a close up. Yeah, it's a close up of Michelle Monaghan. And I've always been like, was this like her first role to have such a small role in the film? Because she like did um, Mission Impossible three like right after this. It's uh, in like two thousand and seven or two thousand and six. I was like, why does she have such a small role in this film? She actually had several scenes deleted, and she was she played uh, a half breed demon who has an, uh, a casual intimate relationship. With Constantine, like they hook up. No way. Yeah, and there's hooks a... up with a demon. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's like human shape. She's half breed. <laughs> she's still a demon. Yeah. Well, he's like. Have he's... you seen Balthazar without his skin? <laughs> without his skin, look at Balthazar. Have you seen Michelle Monaghan? Very pretty, <laughs> but without her skin, it's pretty. Yeah, but her skin's on. This is a weird conversation. <laughs> if you just like tuned in to ten seconds ago, have you seen Michelle Monaghan without her skin? <laughs> so there's um, there's actually a deleted scene where. Uh, it's the morning after they hook up and they have a, a conversation and it's see- and the way the conversation goes it implies like they have an ongoing relationship and she's kind of an informant for him as a half brief getting giving him information from the demonic side of things from the from the evil side but um they cut out the scene and they ha- they also had another scene inside Papa Midnight's club they cut that scene as well so she had a lot more to do in the original cut of the film and then also there's a, there's a scene where Angela is at the precinct going over Constantine's rap sheet because she mentions to Constantine uh, later in the film, like, I know the circles you travel. I've seen your name around the precinct, but we never saw that happen in the film. Mm-hmm. And that's the moment where I was like, oh, well, we I wish we could have seen that. They actually filmed that and cut it out as well. And I also believe – I couldn't find it online, but I believe that there's an opening scene for um, Angela where it shows the incident of her killing the criminal – and shooting the man dead that she's still grieving over in the first moment we see her she's she's recovering from having killed someone in during the line in the line of duty i think they had an op- a scene for introducing her character of that moment because her partner has a broken arm in a in a, on a what do you call it a sling a sling yeah and they never explained they what don't, the like for. why would he have a sling if we didn't see how he was injured and, i always and, think that so i think there were a lot of deleted scenes in this film that didn't make the final cut that would have could have cleared up a few little loose ends here. And, and it there. seems like they tried to avoid getting shots of him, but like not that aren't like chest up throughout exactly. the entire film. Because yeah. then you see the sling, kind of. You're like, why does he have a sling? Like, yeah. are they going to explain that at all? There wouldn't be a reason to put that in there. Yeah, I wish they would have added some of that back in. I didn't even know about any of that because the movie runs at two hours and one minute, which is you know that's pretty long for you could say for a comic book movie that no one's ever heard of. I mean, Batman Begins is probably like what two twenty, but I mean it's Batman. It's fine. It's yeah. Nolan's writing, so it's fantastic. As well I think as the studio Boyer. was. Probably like let's trim it and make it a, a clean two hours to get more viewings. You're probably right, but I guess yeah, that's probably that's probably what they were thinking. So yeah, there were a lot of deleted scenes, but that would have explained a lot. That might have been a better story too, in terms of having Michelle Monaghan's character joined in there as well. Yeah, but I saw the scene online. It's not that strong of a scene. Maybe that's why. And also, she kept she said the line, uh, "The de- devils, you're the one solely come back to." come onto Earth to collect. So we've heard that like four times. But actually, the first time someone says that to Constantine, he says, that's what everyone keeps telling me. And that's yeah. the first time he's told it. Exactly. So I believe the Michelle Monaghan scene would have happened in the first act before that. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. 
Well, let's talk about Constantine for a little bit. And, you know, his abilities in true include the visage of demons and angels on Earth, which is also called True Sight, expert in the occult and demonology, knows magic spells and incantations. He's an exorcist. He can also practice astral projection, Dr. Strange fans, oh. and can separate his soul from his body to travel to other dimensions like he does when he goes to hell. And again, pyromancy. And I, I like Constantine a lot because he's – I love antiheroes, but he's like the ultimate antihero because he's he's violently antisocial. He doesn't want to talk to anybody. He barely even wants to talk to his friends, Father Hennessy and Beeman. He's he's friends with them, but he's still kind of rude to them and, and off and offhanded to them, gives them offhanded compliments here and there. He's like, what's up with you and Instagram? Sex. Like, <laughs> he's like, I just like him. He's like, oh, yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> Even though he's being nice, but like, he's still the only nice conversations you have, you're still being a dick. Yeah, well, well, he, he says terrible things to Angela, too. He doesn't hold the elevator for her. She's yeah. trying to, she's, she's like, hold the elevator. He's like, not if I can help it. <laughs> <laughs> he's also, he also says a really bad line to her um, about, uh, he's like, yeah, what kind of crazy person kills himself? That's just, that's just crazy. And it, it, he is a, he just pushes everyone away. I think it's a fascinating take on the character because because one of the one of the main differences from the comics to the film is Constantine's destined to go to hell in the comics because he um brought a, he purposely brought a demon within him and that demon out of his control took an innocent girl to hell and so that's what has destined him to being going to hell when he dies whereas in the film obviously he committed suicide as a little kid like a 15 year old because of how all the visions he's seeing and how horrific his his youth hat was, which I th- I think works really well because when you're if you're a kid and you're seeing demons everywhere, that's t- very troubling as well as going through so much psychi- psychiatric therapy and who knows what and all the the tests and the the quick flashbacks we see. I think it's a really good take on the character, and also I really think it's a great high stakes situation for a character where. You're going to die in a couple of months and you for sure know you're going to hell and you know hell exists and you know how terrible it is because you've been there before. I think that's a really great setup for a character and that's why he's such an asshole to everyone. That's why he's so obviously depressed and shuts everyone off and just smokes his cigarettes and drinks his his uh, whiskey and then just is focused on trying to save his own soul because it's a really – it's like what would you do if you knew you were going to hell? For sure, you've, you've been there before. You know what it's like. And there's no way – how are you going to get out of that? I think it's a great take on the character. Yeah, that conversation he has with Gabriel is great. She says that that line where 20 years ago you didn't want to be here and now you don't want to leave because, you know, his doctor tells him, like, he's got a couple months, maybe a year. And and Constantine's a very ironic character because he knows he's dying. He knows when he dies he's going to hell. Who No one wants to go to hell, especially him because he's been there. He knows what it's actually like. He knows it actually exists. And he's killing himself quickly by him he's the one doing this he's the one smoking all the cigs he's smoking 30 <laughs> cigarettes a day since he was 15 years old so it's so ironic where he doesn't want to die but he's causing his own premature death i i really like the depiction of hell in this film it's something that we've seen only a few times on film hell itself and i think the team and francis lawrence came up with a really cool unique direction for uh, you know depicting this other world where it's disturbing as hell and we we only get a few shots of like the scope of it because we see obviously the abandoned city that's just frozen in time like radioactive just sulfur and fire everywhere and it's terrible but then lawrence does this really great um one shot it, it tracks down through the earth and we go below the earth the surface of the earth and inside there's like countless people just being tormented and tortured by demons and it's such a quick shot it's really smart how he did it because you, you want to show graphic stuff without it being like 
having to be cut for being too graphic or X-rated. And he does this really great wide shot where you, you see the bodies and the figures, but you don't really see specifically what's happening to each person because it's such a fast shot. And I think it was a really smart way of depicting that. It reminds you, it reminds you of like old paintings of hell and, and demonic things from like the great painters of like the 16th, 15th, and 14th centuries, these crazy scenes. And we got a moment of that in this film, which is really crazy. The look of hell was based on old footage of nuclear tests, specifically the sudden shockwave immediately after the blast that disintegrated anything in its path, hence the crumbling landscape and the horrific winds and just what seems to be like very hot temperatures for sure because whenever quite warm. when An quite warm when angela and constantine both come back from hell they're both smoking hot and they need water for <laughs> lubrication to get in there <laughs> i love the they scene. both are smoking hot people oh yeah <laughs> i love the scene when he goes into hell and he's got his feet in the in the cup in the pot of water and the cat and i and i like how sometimes he says things for spells and sometimes he doesn't it's probably like an interior in his mind he's saying the spell and, and like an inner model inner dialogue so we don't have to see everything or hear everything I, I think it was really done really well done and i like the the slow motion freezing of time in this film especially that bathtub scene with angela is one of the best scenes of the film because you think it's going to be like constantine transporting to hell where it's just you know it takes a moment dips his feet in and then that's it and then he comes back but in the bathtub scene it starts out like fine enough like you have to be fully submerged so he fully submerges her and then she just she's just lying back in the water just like waiting for whatever to happen to happen and then after a few moments she's like losing her she's losing her breath and needs to, t to take a breath of air and he she tries to come up but he keeps pushing pressing down on her and pushing her down and then he eventually drowns her it's a really terrific scene that starts out one way and just completely takes a 180 becomes horrifying surprising and really crazy and I, I love that scene so much. Yeah, it doesn't fully drown her, but I thought the first time I saw this movie, yeah. like, is he going to kill her in yeah. that tub? Why is he letting her go? And it's really cool. And the explosion coming out and everything. <laughs> <laughs> that's what she said. Should we keep that in? Yeah, yeah we'll keep that in. Well, <laughs> that's what she said. <laughs> it's finally 2022, everybody. So now is the time to finally get your act together and get yourself groomed for a new year, new use. So I recommend the Lawnmower 4.0 Groomer from manscaped.com, use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping on your entire order today from manscaped.com, our awesome sponsor who we're so happy to be working with in 2022. Every time you use our coupon code, that really is super helpful for us to, for keeping them. So definitely go on that site. If you need to get a gift for somebody, a man in your life, I recommend going to manscaped.com. They also just launched their two-in-one shampoo conditioner in their high quality body wash which both smell amazing every time i leave the shower now i'm the best i've ever smelt trust me i know from experience their lawnmower 4.0 groomer is a phenomenal product it has a 7000 rpm motor wireless charger built-in light fellas you can legit use this in the shower i'm not kidding also their their performance package 4.0 is a great great bundle of their products at a little bit of a lower cost. So go to manscaped.com, use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping today. I love the Constantine poster. They have a few great ones. And if you love posters, the best place to get them online is at movieposters.com. Use our special promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. They have all sorts of sizes, framing, backlighting, whatever your poster needs are, movieposters.com can handle it as well as having a gigantic selection 
of pretty much every movie and TV show imaginable. If you're a fan of films or you know a film lover in your life, there's no better present to get them or yourself than a bunch of movie posters to deck on your walls. And the best place to do that, again, is at movieposters.com. Use the promo code RAIDERS10 to get 10% off your order today. How about we head on into our intermission? Sounds excellent. Let's dive in. We'll start with our movie quote competition. This one's for me. All right, this is going to be a tough one. A toughie. And blood black nothingness began to spin. A system of cells... Slow down. Sorry. (laughs) I mean, it's tough for me to recite this. And blood black nothingness began to spin. A system of cells interlinked within cells... Blade Runner 2049. Give everyone a moment. (laughs) We know you're super big into boobies, bro. (laughs) Didn't even let me finish the quote, this guy. Sorry, I thought you were going to keep messing it up. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay, do it without tr- messing up. No. A system of cells interlinked within cells, interlinked within cells, interlinked within one system, a dreadfully distinct against the dark, a tall white fountain played. Nice job. F you. <laughs> Round of applause, everyone. Your turn. See, when you have the right motivation... I just need to look at you and be like, I need to offend you. (laughs) That's good motivation. Okay, here's my quote. I'm angry. I'm very angry, Ralph. You know, you can ball my wife if she wants you to. You can lounge around here on her sofa in her ex-husband's dead tech, postmodernistic bullshit house if you want to. But you do not get to watch my effing television set. (laughs) You did a little bit of an impression at the end. <laughs> Heat. I don't have the voice to do it. That's correct, Al Pacino. I'm, I'm going. To, I'm going home. I'm going to sleep for a month. <laughs> Your throat's already shut enough. Be careful over there. All right, last two episodes, you're like, my name's Anthony. Yeah, it's just, oh man, it just made it bad. All right, guess this movie release year. Rounders. Ooh, good one. I'm going to go with 2000. Damn it. 1998. Oh, man. Wow, it came out before. Right after Google Hunting then. Yeah. Okay. Guess this movie release year. Serpico. 1978. Three. Oh. Damn. Yeah, I think Rounders was the first movie of that deal that he signed, like the three-picture deal. With Miramax? Yeah. Yeah. Movie pop quiz time. What part of his body... Did Charlie Chaplin ensure? Good question. What part of his body did he ensure? <clears throat> Excuse me. His um his face? <laughs> no, his feet. His feet. Oh, makes sense. He's a tremendous dancer and performer. Tremendous. Tremendous. All right, here's my quiz question. How many Oscars has Al Pacino won? Um, three. Eh. Two. Eh. One. Yes. Just for um the courtroom one where he plays the blind man. Correct. Um, what's it called? That's what it's called. Uh. That's what the movie's called. <laughs> I love the courtroom one where he plays the blind man. <laughs> Scent of a woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, pal. Uh, what we got for haters besides you this week? <laughs> I have a, a couple of haters. We have one real hater and then a few uh, unsubscribed. I posted a clip on Fight Club talking about the twist. And then uh, Zodiar wrote, 
and you ruined the twist as well for those who have yet to see the film. And then one of our fans absolutely trolled them by spoiling five different movies by in his responses to her. It was so friggin' funny. I, I saw them all. I was dying. He spoiled Old Boy. He spoiled The Sixth Sense. He spoiled um, uh, Moon. It was so great. It's pretty great. And then our unsubscribers, because they're not going to see Fight Club ever. It came out in 1999. Yeah. And you don't spoil it for like five seconds, six seconds into the clip, and you open the clip saying that this. I've know, said the, that the the movie has a twist, so and then you, you find stop out, listening. Then you find out the twist ten seconds into the clip. Like you think the twist is not going to come out? How dare you, Anthony? I ruined their life. I did it on purpose. You ruined a lot of lives, man. And then our unsubscribed fans, Tales of Michelle, wrote. Working so hard putting out great content that you mess up what year and what number news you're working on, James. <laughs> Unsubscribed. Yeah, because I said I said a happy 2021, right? Yeah. <laughs> to everybody. And you said movie news 31, even though it's number 30. I'm blaming Anthony for that because he he titled it 31. All right, that was Anthony's fault. He 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 made the document on Google Docs. So I don't I tr- know what you're talking I about. I trusted my partner. <laughs> you see see what that gets me. <laughs> and then um. Don Payne wrote in our 2022 Anticipated Movies episode, you didn't use Beverly Hills Chihuahua as your guest the movie release year question. Unsubscribed. <laughs> Is that a real movie? Yeah. yeah. Beverly Hills Chihuahua. You never knew that? No, I've never yeah. seen it. Oh, uh, yeah. They, there's a whole Chihuahua franchise. <laughs> <laughs> There is. It's real. <laughs> Who the hell watches that? I don't know, kids. <laughs> All right. We have... I watch it. <laughs> I do it. All right. We have an amazing five-star review from Rastier, the absolute best, most amazing podcast. Seriously, this is my all-time favorite pad. Oh, actually. Sorry, I did this. Let me say Godfather first. And today's Godfather tier shout-out for Patreon is Desiree Gonzalez, one of our ultimate fans Desiree has been a fan of the show for a long time, a good friend of ours. We appreciate your support so much. Thank you so much for signing up to our Godfather tier on Patreon. Desiree, thank you for on the day of my daughter's wedding. We made it up. You couldn't refuse Desiree. Godfather here, Desiree. Desiree, we love you. Thank you so much. You did it. We have a great five-star review from your dad, greatest podcast. Definitely not my dad. He doesn't even know what Apple Podcasts yeah, is. Yeah, Dennis doesn't know what Apple Podcasts is. But it's still a great review. Found this podcast on TikTok, and I'm glad I did. Their knowledgeable in movies is incredible. And I don't mean movie facts and behind-the-scenes info, but guessing movie years and movies based off of quotes to near perfection. Listening, Well, I, I, I get a few wrong, but thank you so much for saying that. Listening to this made me realize how much movies I haven't watched, so I enjoy episodes on stuff I've watched. If I haven't watched it, then I'll listen anyways, and they'll make me want to watch it, or it'll be a good background while working or driving. Great job, guys. Also, unsubscribe, unsubscribe is the best, but 100%. You're Thanks. the best. Thanks, Thank pal. you so much, pal. That is, that is such a great review. Love it. My streaming recommendation today is the Born Ultimatum, which was just added onto Amazon Prime. All The whole trilogy yeah. and the fourth one's on HBO Max, oh, nice. if you have that. My recommendation is Jeepers Creepers ah. on Amazon Prime, which is a very fun, campy Justin horror film. Justin Long's in that, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. And then on this day in film history, today is January 13th in 2012. The Iron Lady was released. In 2017, Patriot's Day was released. And happy birthday to Michael Pena, Orlando Bloom, and Liam Hemsworth. Now let's dive back into Constantine. Constantine. And another thing I really like about this film that is, you know, becoming pretty rare nowadays with big uh, comic book films is the third act of this film, especially like the climax it's not this like gigantic CGI fest. It's not this huge, gigantic 
showdown battle, it's actually pretty small in scope, the the finale of this film, the climax. It's in that it's in that hospital. Yes, there's that awesome shootout scene with John in the half breeds, but that's only about thirty seconds or so, a minute long. But the entire climactic sequence, I like how few characters there are. I like the setting, how it's not gigantic, but the stakes are still huge because we're talking about end of days here. But I like the scope being smaller for the conclusion of this film, especially nowadays, you know, when a superhero gets like their first movie, they're like going with huge big bang at the end. Whereas, you know, sometimes it's nice to scale it down a little bit. You know, Shang-Chi, I feel like, if they scaled it down, the scope of it at the end was it would have been a little bit stronger and kept it a little bit more minimal, and then maybe have gigantic, uh, a gigantic sequence maybe for the third film in the in that franchise. But I think it's I love when the scope is pretty small. Yeah, it's a really great moment, and I think there this movie has really great characters as well. I think Father, Father Hennessy is really fascinating. He's this priest who can hear voices in the of the dead and communicate with the dead. That's basically that's what he's doing when he's reading through the newspapers in. One of the best death scenes ever. Yeah. His death yeah. is terrifying because, you know, he he touches uh, Isabel's dead body, and we can assume that the demonic presence has taken him over at that point. He can't stop hearing the voices, so he tries to go ironically drink alcohol where he thinks he can't taste or, or drink any Nothing's alcohol. Nothing's coming out, yeah. But ironically, he's drowning himself in alcohol, even though it's invisible to I, him. It's, I think it's one of the best scenes of the film, and it's also a, such a memorable death just in general for movies. Like, really well done well crafted. The CGI looks great for the bottles in the in the liquid, and it's well directed. I I always when I see this scene, it's so disturbing. It's just like a genius way for a character to die. Like whoever came up with that concept, kudos to them. Yeah. And then and because it, it's great because it's all like he doesn't see anything. He's not nothing's coming out of these bottles even even if he breaks them. And then the final shot is this great close up on him that um, tracks outwards and it's a god's eye view again. God's eye above. And there's just liquid pouring out of him. Like, how much liquid actually did he even take in is just insane. And we can see the influence and powers of half-breeds if they use their limits, their powers to the extremes. Like, it seems like Balthazar, someone like him, that's like the max of what he can do on this plane on Earth is do something like that. And that even probably is is probably against the law in terms of the balance. I don't, I'm not sure that Balthazar was influential in that moment, but I think it was... Once he made the connection with Isabel, it opened up like a whole can of worms of demons inside of his head. Something like that. I, that or maybe, yeah. maybe it's something to do with that. But he was there when he died, so he knew he was He dying. knew it was happening. So he knew yeah. he was a part of it, you could say, <clears throat> technically. And he's also a part of Beeman's death when Beeman is found by Angela and Constantine he's, yeah, he, he's in the straight bowling up, alley. He's straight up mercs Beeman. So he definitely murders yeah. Beeman, who seemed like a cool guy, super nice, likes insects, but also, yeah, he seemed you know, like a nice guy. Seemed, seemed super chill. Yeah. You know, he gets John all of his stuff, which is fun. I think Angela and Isabel, played by Rachel Vice are both super fascinating. You know, Angela twinning, twinning big time. Angela is this cop who seems to have this like sixth sense for when she's in a dangerous situation. You know, that's why she's able to find the criminal who's going. You can assume is about to shoot her, and she shoots the criminal first. That's what it seems like, and it's not the first time she's killed somebody. And her opening shot is in a confessional because her and her sister are both devout Catholic, devout Catholics. (laughs) Jesus is looking down like, can you get that all right? Shaking his head. God, oh man, James, here we go. (laughs) Confirmed in everything. Look at this guy. So it's I. I think that what Angela, she's obviously rejected her psychic abilities but they're still deep within her so it creates an intuition for i think she can intuitively find killers and knows killers and that's what that's who she kills are people who are you know murderous 
because they've been themselves have been heavily influenced by half breed demons. I think that's how that works with her. Probably something like that because yeah. yeah, she's a psychic and her sister was a psychic and rather than accept her gifts like her sister Isabel did her entire life, she rejected them out of fear of the treatment that was happening to Isabel at a young age in terms of what they were doing to her. And so she lied and then eventually she stopped seeing things, she stopped having psychic visions, but Isabel never stopped and Isabel I think they said Angela says when she's talking to Constantine, this was one of the many times that they committed her to a hospital and she'd been there for two weeks before she commits suicide after she wakes up in the middle of the night. Yeah, um, I think it would have been cool to see a scene of Isabel prior to her being in the hospital, maybe to see the beginnings of it, of her possession possession or the influence of um, Maimon on her. And also... Maimon. 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 I think it's Maimon. I, I, something that was missing that I would have liked to see is how how um, half-breeds communicate with demons. Maybe there's some kind of ritual they do. Like down in hell? Exactly. Is it like Wi-Fi? Because people know that like he's on his Maybe way down. Maybe it's like a tin can with string. <laughs> something. <laughs> <laughs> can you hear me down there? Can you, can you guys hear me? Hold on, hold on. Mamon, yeah, we hear you. Mamon, Mamon, what how, are we doing? How's Constantine doing? <laughs> <laughs> I hate that guy. <laughs> So I think that um, something that could have really elevated the film to even greater territories, um, having a, a more substantial role for a half-breed demonic character, where we can see maybe they have a little bit more integral role in the story, seeing how they interact with themselves and with the other plane of existence. True, but it seems like maybe they would have if it wasn't for Gabriel being the main force behind everything. You know, Gabriel is such a great character in this film played by Tilda Swinton. I love the interpretation of Gabriel in this film, whom we only see twice, two scenes, that's it, but it feels like Gabriel is all over this movie. You're right. Gabriel's Because she's a great actress. Yeah. And she's really terrific. She's a powerhouse. That's yeah. why That's why when you think back on Constantine, you're like, oh, Tilda Swinton's elite, all over that movie. character. Wait, yeah. she's only in two scenes? Holy what? crap, Well, technically right. three. If you if if you count like when she shows up, then Constantine talking to Lucifer, but really it's all happening at the same time. And yeah. then Constantine with... with Gabriel and um, Angela at the end of the film. But that's all kind of one big scene if you think about it. It's one it. sequence. Yeah, it's, it's one all sequence. one scene. Yeah, it never breaks. But I love the <clears throat> interpretation of this androgynous character by Tilda Swinton. And, you know, at first, the first time we see Gabriel, it's a really interesting introduction where Gabriel's in a black suit, a tie, and Gabriel has these dark wings. And you'd expect like an angel. Why, why isn't the angel in like an all white suit or, or something like that? And Gabriel seems to be very bureaucratic, kind of like, oh, I'm just going by by the books, very business-like curses, which you wouldn't expect an angel to do when you're watching a movie for the first time. Compared to Gabriel's second appearance, when Gabriel's wearing all white when she comes down at the medical in the medical hospital after Constantine uses his spell to force the enemy, the hidden enemy, to come out in front of him into the light, Gabriel's wearing all white. And she's also at her most fanatic and most crazed part of her. It's her true being. self. Revealed. It's her true self of what she's become. And this is where she reveals her true feelings of how she despises or has disdain for human beings and this beautiful gift they're given and how they squander it and how she wants humans to be worthy of God's love. So really she's a fanatic more than anything for God's love. She's actually, she hates the forgiveness of God. That's what she hates more than anything because she's mad that Humans can commit atrocities of sin and then repent and then they're forgiven. That's what she really 
like uh, grinds her gears. But also for the wings, I read um, Francis Lawrence interview where he said he wanted the wings to not be pure white for any of the angels because same thing with the angel in the liquor store. They're not like yeah. all bright white. He's, he wanted them to just feel like more realistic in terms of like they could be the feathers of a bird, mm-hmm. which are obviously discolored and they are not all the pure one color. You know, there are different shades of a white and gray. And so he wanted to make it feel like they're giant bird wings rather than, you know, angel wings from a painting. Yeah. And Gabriel, the first meeting that Gabriel has with Constantine uh, tells him, you know, you can't buy your way into heaven because that's all John's trying to do. He's not really trying to help people in the first half of this film. He's doing everything that for himself to ensure his retirement, like he calls it. You know, he, he makes fun of it as well. And, you know, John's looking for a reprieve from death or, you know, acceptance into heaven for the work he's done. He thinks that my catalog and my resume should get me this great job. You know, I should be welcomed to the kingdom of heaven. Haven't I done enough? Haven't I served him enough? But Gabriel's trying to let him know it's not about that. It's not about doing things selfishly. It's all about repentance, self-sacrifice. That's what what it's really all about. Yeah, the best line of dialogue that really defines John is when Gabriel tells him, like, you have to believe in God and and John says, I believe. And she goes, no, you've seen. You've seen. You know. You know that he exists because you've been shown it. And that's different from belie- not just believing God exists, but believing in God and the values. And that's what he. That's the main flaw of his character, the main hubris that he's dealing with. Yeah, belief versus knowing. Then also whether his gifts are a curse or a gift. And he, he calls them a curse and Gabriel calls them a gift. And, you know, everything you've ever done, you've only done for yourself. And... I always think about in terms of belief versus knowing, does it ever affect Angela later on in the film or, or going forwards after this film? Because, you know, Angela and her sister believed they were devout Catholics, but now Angela knows. Does that affect her acceptance into heaven later on in life? Well, <clears throat> that's a good point. You could say that she she knew when she was younger because she was shown, and then now she believes, which is why she wants to sacrifice herself to try and save her sister well she didn't know her visions were real yeah but she knew they were she know well she knew she, i think she knew they were real that but she she, she denied no, them. i don't i don't think she knew even constantly didn't know his visions were real until he went to hell well he had a sister she had a sister that corroborated it if someone else could see something that you think is fake then that means it's real that's i guess how we are in this country so she <laughs> she, <laughs> she uh, that's how we got to 2020 yeah that's it but um so she just like constant she knew what she was seeing was there but she didn't want to believe. And then in the second half of the film, she transforms into someone that I believe, and that's why I want to see again to save my sister. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. Thanks, Good job. Man. I really also like uh, Papa Midnight in this movie, played yeah. by Jimon Hansu. He's, He's awesome. Super we cool love, character. Love so uh, Papa Midnight is a former witch doctor who once fought against the forces of hell. After swearing an oath of neutrality, though, unless one side should tip the balance of power, he opened up this really hip nightclub <laughs> to serve as a neutral <laughs> meeting ground for both sides of the war between heaven and hell. I wish Bill Hader like did like a... Uh, uh, what's his his character on SNL? Stefan. Stefan. Like <laughs> this week in New York, the great the, the Club Hell. New York's hottest nightclub is Club Hell. Opened up by Papa Midnight. <laughs> that was a good impression. <laughs> Although, how does Papa Midnight make any money if everyone just keeps turning water into wine? 
<laughs> He's probably <laughs> Hey, no turn water into wine. You're gonna pay for your wine here. <laughs> you come into my house? You turn water to wine? <laughs> Good point. He must be have some gold coins or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. But I love the uh, I love his bar. The set design's really great. His office is awesome. Super creepy. Shimon's just a really terrific actor and he's just effortlessly cool as well. And I love the relationship between him and John. Clearly they used to be friends and even probably used to fight side by side, but now, you know, John's become so wayward and Papa Midnight is this neutral party who just wants to keep the balance maintained for the sake of everyone. You know what I find interesting about Papa Midnight is even though he's a neutral character in party and the balance between good and evil, he's always bathed in red light. He's always wearing like red wardrobes, red set design. His office is a lot of red in it. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah. I never, I never really. I guess it, because it looks cool in the nightclub. I think it's because it looks cool. There's, <laughs> there's blue and green as well. Yeah, but, but it, there is a lot. His of red. office is very red, especially the final shot. He's of him always when he's wearing. Praying. I think he's always wearing like red, a red hat and red jacket. Red looks good on him. He does. It does yeah. look good on him. Yeah. But you would think. It, I guess it looks cooler than like if it was like yellow. Yeah. Or blue. I think they. I think that they wanted to show, because he runs an establishment where both half breeds of both parties are. Uh, they can socialize and it's a safe place for everyone. So just hang out, go yeah. go clubbing at Papa Midnight. <laughs> yeah, where else are you gonna go? I mean, yeah, and it looks like there's like even half breeds like feasting on the body at one point. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> LA is hot as nightclub is <laughs> Papa Midnight's. If you're half breed, get on down there, enjoy our our water to wine special. <laughs> <laughs> and but, then and then Shia is also really great in the supporting role. This was a point in Shia LaBeouf's career where he was doing the sidekick role. He had just done iRobot as Will Smith's sidekick, and he basically has the same role in this film as like an apprentice, um, and the lead character is his mentor. And he's like, kind of meta, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like this like uh, kind of annoying, innocent, naive young guy who wants to do what they do. And then, I mean, can you imagine being the sidekick for Will Smith and Keanu Reeves? That's pretty, pretty crazy. That's pretty cool. I mean, yeah. that shows you how he got Transformers and how he had a huge career until it recently pretty much came to a halt yeah and then balthazar so balthazar is is that a real demon balthazar is not a demon according to scripture balthazar is one of the magi a mortal astronomer priest of biblical times who visited infant jesus and also gabriel in terms of gabriel's importance to scripture gabriel is one of only two angels whose names are mentioned in scripture the other is michael gabriel was sent to nazareth a town in galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, of David, uh, Mary, whom she, whom Gabriel told Mary would marry David and give birth to a boy. And also, Gabriel's the fallen angel as well, the one that um, God cast down to earth. Well, not and, and fallen. That's, that's, that's what Lucifer is a fallen angel. I, I thought Gabriel was a fallen angel too. I'm pretty I, I sure. I don't think so. You, you want, want to go? Yeah, want, Google it. Hey, you talk about something because about. she is. She does get um, cast down to earth in this film, and I love the scene when. Her wings get burned off, and then there's just like the stubs in her back. Like, how's she gonna explain that to someone? Yeah, I'm not seeing. Uh, fallen. I thought angels. that Gabriel was like no, the seven fallen angels. Um, Moloch, Chemish, Dagon. Yeah, no, Gabriel is not a fallen angel. Gabriel's just a half breed on Earth in this film and a messenger for God in Scripture. Oh, Lucifer's the the fallen angel. Lou, I'm, I must have gotten mixed up with Lucifer then. Well, speaking of Lou. Lou. I like how John calls him Lou. 
best entrance for a villain, I think, or a, this might be the best interpretation of Satan I've ever seen in a movie. I also really like Al Pacino and Devil's Advocate, but I love Peter Stormare in this role. And then in terms of him, like his introduction is him falling down and we seeing like melted tar or yeah, it's or, tar. or lava yeah. just falling from his feet onto the ground and smoking up the water. And then his feet land and he's in an all white suit, which makes sense because he is a fallen angel. So why not have him in all white? Yeah. The original concept that the filmmakers had in mind for Lucifer was to have him in like a BDSM outfit with like a collar and like leather and lace and and to be covered in tattoos, like face tattoos and tattoos everywhere. But uh, Peter Stormare, I, I really like his idea for the character. He's, he came up with the look of Lucifer that you see in this film. He does have some tattoos. He has wrist tattoos and you know, a couple cr- reaching out of his neck under his shirt. His teeth look terrible, but like I love the tar feet contrasted with the white suit. It's, surpri- it's not what you expected. You know what I mean? All the times we've seen Lucifer in... You know, movies, TV, cartoons, it's always t- generally the same kind of vibe. And I think he really was su- surprised audiences with his interpretation of what Lucifer would look like. Yeah, and the plot of the movie and, and the plan that Gabriel and Mamon have is actually really solid. I like it a lot where Mamon, who's you this— try it? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the son of the devil that I know of. Mamon is going to try and create his own kingdom of hell, you could say, on Earth— and we learn this through the book, the the Bible of Hell that Beeman recites back to Constantine and Angela. And you, he explains the sins of the father will be repeated by the sins of the son. The devil had a son too, Mamon, the son of the devil. He wants to forge his own kingdom. But in order to cross over from hell to go through a body and to come onto earth, Mamon needs a psychic divine assistance which would be the blood of christ the the blood of jesus that's the divine assistance then the help of god which is gabriel an, an angel of god helping mamon cross over and now gabriel's motivation to help mamon is to create hell on earth so that the survivors the surviving humans are worthy of god's love which is crazy messed up. crazy stuff right yeah, there it's messed up like that's just terrifying that's, that's really bad and I I love the scene between Satan and John. It's because it's built up like I character introductions. They work so well when there's anticipation because you know when characters talk about a, a person before they're introduced in a film, it adds so much suspense when you finally see them. And Lucifer is mentioned many times in this. You're the film. one soul he come up here exactly. himself to collect. And then and since it keeps getting mentioned, you know he's going to show up eventually in the film. And you're just like watching this for the first time. You're like waiting, like when's Lucifer going to show up? When are we going to see him? And when he does, it does not disappoint. So it's that anticipation and building up the suspense to seeing Lucifer and having a really terrific payoff that makes this entire sequence in the climax of the film really work. I think that it's really excellent. Yeah, Stormare's awesome in this role. It's he's he's so playful as the devil. Immature. Yeah, he's like immature like a kid sometimes. Yeah. He's also terrifying like when he licks John's neck and he's like he growls at him like a lion. So he's it's also very terrifying and and childlike at times too, which seems like he probably had a ball doing this role. I have a whole theme park of red delights for you. <laughs> it's great. What do you want? 
extension. It's a and it's a genius plan by John. It's really really yeah, genius. So he's out of options. So what's he gonna do? He's gonna yeah. kill himself a second time to stop time to speak with Lucifer because he's the only soul he'd come up to collect himself and tell him that, yo, your your son, he's a chip off the old block. Boys will be boys. <laughs> he's gonna go over there. He's with Gabriel. They have the spear of destiny. And so obviously. Lucifer knows exactly what that means. That means that he's going to try to come through. Exactly. And so he's going to go stop it. And, you know, we have the interaction where Lucifer stops Gabriel and Mamon's plan. Yeah, yeah. It's really, really terrific. I, and I love – they did a great job depicting the, the change of time really well. And I love the, the final moment between Lucifer and John where John <laughs> comes full circle as a character, fully transformed, where instead of being selfish and wanting an extension on life and having probably his lungs cured and being – back on earth and being healthy and getting a second shot at life he accepts going to hell in order for isabel to leave hell and go to go home to heaven where she's meant to be yeah and he's and what lucifer doesn't realize is you know he lucifer is so arrogant and so greedy for john that he doesn't even think it through probably because you know lucifer if he took a moment he's be so like, excited yeah like, oh wait that's a sacrifice he's gonna get he's gonna, that's sacrifice. a loophole and I love the the image of not being able to pull John because he's probably like the weight of a building and yeah. rips up the floor. And then he's but given... also John flips him off when yeah. he's being lifted up into heaven. It's, it's, it's just great. like, in, and this is the end when Franco's being lifted up into the heaven. He's like, "Suck my dick!" And then, <laughs> and then the beam shuts off. He falls. It's so fucking funny. I sacrificed myself for you, man. <laughs> I sacrificed so good. <laughs> And now Lucifer makes another bargain, you could say, with with God, where John Constantine has to prove himself on Earth, whether he belongs in heaven or hell. Yeah, so that's what was always a great possibility for a sequel of challenging John and testing him, putting him to the point where – putting him in a situation or sequence of events where he could do something that would make him destined to go to hell again. Yeah, and he pulls out – all the is it, he's either pulling out his lungs or just he's like pulling out the cancer the cancer tumors, tumors inside yeah. of his lungs that's what he's doing of both of them which yeah. is super gross like yeah. it's nasty hey man I, I recommend not smoking cigarettes yeah <laughs> don't smoke guys it's not good for you it's not it's not good for you watch Constantine <laughs> <laughs> did you know that um, cigarette packets in Europe they show literally on the labels of the cigarette packets are images of like lungs with cancer and stuff. Yeah, yeah. To get people to dissuade them from buying them. It's really, really bad stuff. Yeah, not not good for you. Something that I also really like about this film is there. There's a subtle hints of romance between Angela and John, but it, they don't become intimate. And I like that because it's not like a typical like damsel in distress, and he's not a typical like I'm gonna save you and then we're gonna kiss at the end. Um, I, I, I like how the filmmakers, they tease it and you, you expect them to kiss multiple times and it becomes like a running gag. They're jo- they're cheek yeah. and cheek like two or three times in yeah. the movie. Yeah. And there's moments where Angela thinks he's going to kiss her, but she doesn't. And I think they're just like trying to be like, it doesn't have to happen in every movie. And obviously they have a connection, but I like how they aren't intimate in the film. Oh yeah. Me too. Although I, I don't I know how John does it. Cause Rachel Weiss is like, she's always been a crush very, of mine. Very beautiful. Yeah. And yeah, I like how at the end he doesn't kiss. They don't kiss or anything. And you know, she walks away. He's like, I got some cleaning up to do. <laughs> I've got some cleaning up to do. <laughs> and I think there's one a moment where I think some people get confused is so when John takes out Balthazar and Balthazar is just like ash on the table, but he's still alive and he's whoever this person, the silhouette of a person or or half breed or or being 
is he's talking to he's like i'm ready to be reborn and re put back onto earth here as a half breed i think a lot of people are like who is that being it's Gabriel. Yeah, it's definitely Gabriel. Yeah, it's Gabriel yeah. and Balthazar were working together, and then Gabriel betrayed Balthazar in that moment. And again, Gabriel is more powerful from that as an example than other half-breeds. Yeah. I love this film. I think it's really terrific, and I think that it gets better on repeat viewings, and it's definitely underrated. And I mean, I know that I've read that Keanu and Lawrence have been in discussions about making a sequel. I just talked about it on a talk show. Recently? Yeah, so he said... I think he was asked by was it Colbert where where they asked yeah him, yeah like, well they asked him what he would like to do yeah if, if there's a character you want to revisit yeah. but you know they're doing those questions on purpose I think they're gauging people on the internet that's what they that's what these studios do yeah I just think that the failure of the Matrix Resurrections might this might make Warner Brothers be like let's not revisit another old Keanu movie bro he's making John Wick movies and those things are killing. No, yeah, but this is a, I'm talking about an older property from almost 20 years ago. Re, make a new one, and it that one didn't work out. Yeah, but there's four Matrixes. There's only been one Constantine. <clears throat> I think it would work, and I think I would love to see it. I think DC really needs to do something like that. I think it really get people excited about DC coming up because I think a lot of people are pretty disappointed in terms of abandoning the Snyderverse. Yeah, and you know Keanu is still Keanu, and Francis Lawrence is very talented. I think that they and also they. They probably would listen to all the criticisms from fans of the comics and maybe make a bit of a different interpretation, um, maybe be a little bit more loyal to the fans if they make another one. But I just think I really love the world. I love the character. I love Keanu as Constantine, and I would absolutely go see another one. Let's do some fun facts and trivia. Let's do it. The character of John Constantine was originally created by Alan Moore during his run on DC Comics' Swamp Thing. However, following his negative experience with movie adaptations of his work From Hell and The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Moore decided to reject all money and credit from Hollywood on any adaptations of his work, including Watchmen. And thus, he gave all the money he would have gotten to the artists who drew the character with him and rejected his own created by credit from the film. Stubborn guy. All right. During the course of the film, John Constantine is seen smoking exactly 13 cigarettes, which is generally regarded as a very unlucky number. In the original script of Constantine, Father Hennessy was originally supposed to die from overeating. What effect was going to happen was the more that he ate, the thinner he got until he eventually became so skinny that he had no tissue left. Um, I don't think the filmmakers could figure out a way of depicting that by making it look realistic. So they changed the script of death into someone who, where he can't see the alcohol that he's drinking. At the end of Constantine, when Lucifer reaches down to claim John and drags him across the floor, he purposely uses his left hand to pick John up. This keeps in tradition with the depiction of the left side being the sinister side associated with evil. That wraps our episode on Constantine. We really hope you enjoyed this one. Be sure to become a patron today at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in around the world. Take care. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.